Man, have a seat. Kevin. Angela. I've got one mic for one of you. And the other mic is sitting on the chair up there. No, it's all. Uh, I've got another mic for you. Look, it's a magic trick. Here you go. Here you go. So we quite, haven't quite figured out how we... Fortunately, Kevin and Angelo, who had to stand up the front and then sat down because you couldn't see past them. They're quite tall, <laughs> had you noticed? Um, and we, um, those bar stools that I bought a while ago for the church that we used a bit when we were interviewing people, um, uh, the seat tops never stayed on, so I threw them out. <laughs> he offered me a high chair down the back, but I thought it was a bit small for me. It's probably the right height, but... Um, so they get in clean on this... Um, How's it going? Uh, just in case you don't know who they are, this is Kevin, this is Angela. What are you doing? What's your, what, um, what's your connection with us? Obviously been here for quite a few years, lots of familiar faces, but uh, we've been living in Cairns for the last um, 11 years now, I think. Yeah, so, um, but we're working for MAF, and I'm, I'm sure many of you know that, but um, uh, last year's been an interesting year for us. We've had a, a few health issues, but... Um, not Ministry yeah. of Agriculture and Fisheries. Oh, Ministry of, Missionary of it's not the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries. <laughs> it's Mission Aviation Fellowship. You probably, if you come in a little bit earlier, would have seen some pictures of the planes on the uh, screen there. But um, yeah, so. And we've, as a church, we've been supporting Kevin and Angela for yeah. is it for eleven years. Uh, yeah, wow. yeah, it is. Yeah. It predates me my uh, a, a whole heap. And mm. how's it going? Well, um, last year has been a little bit interesting. Um, myself and Angela have had a, a few health issues, and um, I ended up with um, real nasty dose of the flu at the beginning of April last year, and um, it flattened me a little bit. And then I ended up with atrial fibrillation, which affected my heart, which slowed me down even more. Um, so I went through some treatment and um, eventually um, came right. They gave me a zap to the heart, and that seemed to start me up again. <laughs> Um, and finally got cleared for some travel and um, to uh, in the latter part of the year I had to cancel a couple of uh, trips in uh, the first part of the year and so the end of the year sort of uh, was a bit of a catch up time so I had quite a bit of travel to catch up on but um, that was uh, quite a busy end of the year but for ourselves um, what do you want to talk about it? the couple of alpha courses that we had that was Maybe later. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, we'll get to that what, later. What are your plans? Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I was okay. just going to just just gonna, gonna unpack this a little bit more because... That's <laughs> <laughs> right. We, uh, even though during that time of sickness, I, we really have seen God at work in some pretty amazing ways, and we'll probably share a little bit about that. We had a couple of Alpha courses, and that was really encouraging. And personally, I feel God's just been reminding me a lot more about some really basic commands that he gave, and that's love God. Love your neighbour. And then as a subset of that, love your brother and especially love your brother and sister. And as, as a follower of Jesus, um, that should be their hallmark. And so that's one of the personal little journeys that God's just been reminding us, me, of and, uh, and that. But uh, we have got some, a bit of a change of plans next year. Um, this year. Crumbs, that's right. I've been so used to saying that. It's coming around quickly. Um, we're going to be moving back to Christchurch in the third quarter, probably the end of uh, August, early September this year. And so we're looking for that, forward to that. Um, I had initially thought that we'd probably need to resign, but um, my boss and uh, Math said, well, would you consider staying with Math um, in Christchurch? Because a lot of my job is in front of a computer and... Um, and 
and is um, uh, done remotely by emails, via Skype and via those sort of things, developing training materials and uh, I'll probably still need to travel uh, but um, so we're planning to come back to Christchurch at the end of August this year so you'll be hopefully seeing a lot more of us later in the year so and we'll give that a go. See how that goes for about a year. Um, and if it works out, then we'll continue. But if it doesn't, then, well, I'm not just going to... Sit around and do it Yeah, that's yeah, right. No, no, that's not, that's not going to work. So we want to make a difference. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and the big thing we'd like to say is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm. You guys have been amazing. Yep. You have supported us through thick and thin for 11 years. And um, we're just so aware that's taken a huge sacrifice for lots of people people that have been red zone, people that have lost houses, people that have been struggling with earthquake damage and you have stuck with us through thick and thin. So I don't know how we say thank you other than, you know, there's no way that Kevin could be serving with MAF without you. Uh, that's absolutely the case. It obviously costs for him to be doing his job. He has to travel to do audits and surveys and training. He has to travel to Bangladesh and... East Timor and Papua New Guinea and Arnhem Land and Mongolia and all over the place to do his job and that obviously costs money and you guys have supported MAF so faithfully. So thank you so much. You are an integral and absolutely essential part piece of the puzzle. Um, there's no way anybody in MAF could be doing what they're doing without people praying and financially supporting. So consider yourself all MAF staff because you are. <laughs> so yeah. when Kevin and Angela have come back and visited and we've had coffee or touch base, they always have stories of how they've been trying to engage in, in mission and in evangelism mm. and what that looks like. And what we thought we'd do this morning is we'd, because we love the Bible mm. and you know, we're pretty committed to trying to listen to the God of the Bible, we thought we'd tell three stories from Acts chapter 16, and they would chime in with their own stories. Mm. Yep, that, that, that's our plan. So if you have a Bible handy, Acts chapter 16, they're all things that happen that. I will be putting the passages up on the screen behind you, but uh, it's going to be really hard to read them. Um, <laughs> Can you see? Not just because the body, some of them are quite small. So um, we're just going to tell you the story of them. And in the first one is, uh, is Lydia. Um, and this is where Paul, they're going to Philippi. Is it Philippi? I think it's Philippi. They go to Philippi and they go and they find a place of prayer and meet this woman called Lydia, who's a dealer in purple cloth. That means she's pretty well off. Purple cloth is, uh, you, this would be like work going, spending time with a, a high end jeweler. The stuff they're dealing with is really, really, really valuable. And they have a series of conversations with her and she invites them to her home and you get this kind of if you can she's this this odd phrase she was a worshipper of god they have conversations together seemingly we're not sure if this is this if this is at a kind of workplace or a place where people were gathering to pray and then she invites them to her house so that's the first there's a conversion story that's happening in here in Acts 16 all right can you see past us by the way you can, okay. Oh, that's All right, okay. <laughs> All right, so, I mean, the thing with this is, that strikes me is that God was already working in Lydia's heart. Um, is this too close hold, to something Hold the mic close to you and... and, and is that better? Okay, God was already working in Lydia's heart. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, for Paul and Timothy and Silas, they... 
Tell you what, we're just going to move back about a foot. <laughs> they initially wanted to go to Asia and um, God directed them to go to Macedonia and um, to where Lydia was, but they didn't go to a temple to find her. She was actually down by the river and she was, this is where the woman would pray. So this is someone who's actually seeking God, um, but not in a religious sense. So she hasn't been near the temple as far as I can see. And it's been really quite amazing, some of the people that God has brought into our lives that are in this situation. And, you know, Lydia was very well off. Um, Kevin actually did some research into purple dye. You might want to explain that quickly. Interestingly enough, um, interestingly enough does anybody know how they made purple dye back in the day? One, one gram of purple dye required 9,000 mollusks to give up their life. And they were only found around a place called Tyre. Tyre so they called it Tyrrhenian purple. And so it was actually worth about the same its weight in silver. And by the time it was processed, it was often lightweight garments like scarves and the like could actually be worth their weight in gold. Uh, in fact, one of the um, Caesars around the 4th century refused to buy his wife one of these scarves because it was worth its weight in gold and he didn't want to pay that much. And so, like uh, Colin said, you know, you're dealing with a person who's spent, put a lot of money invested in buying the dye, and so she's got a lot of money invested in the work in progress that has yet to be sold, and so she's dealing with high-end people. So the only people that could afford to buy this were your royalty your and those with a lot of money and in elite positions. So that's the sort of person you're, you're dealing with there. Who they, she's hobnobbing with the elite. Uh, that's the, the sort of person you're talking about there. Yeah, and I think sometimes there's a bit of a tendency that we think that successful people somehow don't have any need of God or you know, that their material wealth or success can meet their innate need for relationship in connection with their creator but that's not the case and you know the cool thing is that if we truly seek after God he will be found by us and I think that was the case for Lydia and certainly that was the case for a, a young lady that we met um, last year called Jo. Um, jo had, <clears throat> had tragedy in her life earlier on, she'd had a family member who was killed suddenly and she'd always struggle, struggled to try and make sense of that um, as a result of some well-meaning people trying to help, they really turned her away from God and she was an ardent atheist. So she was trying to find the reasons for it all, trying to understand life through New Age, um, some occult sort of stuff. Um, and she had a really good friend um, called Sarah and Sarah was a bit of a soulmate. You know, they were really, really great friends. And one day Sarah sent her a text and said, you know, I've been thinking about going to church. Now, this is like completely out of left field for both of them. And Joe said she found herself texting back, I'll see you there. And she was saying, I have no idea. I did not want to say that. My thumbs were texting without me. I did not, did not want to go to church. But she'd committed to it. So she came to our church. She was completely blown away. She understood God to be angry. Um, she thought, if there was a God, that he was angry, that um, she came through the doors of our church and she found a God who cared. She found a place of belonging. She was completely blown away and she wanted to find out more. So we happened to be starting an Alpha course that week, conveniently, um, and she came along to our Alpha course and in the course of that 
14 weeks, uh, her life was completely turned around. Um, She came to know a God who cared for her, um, a God who loved her, Jesus who died for her. And when other people in the group would be asking hard questions, she was the one who'd be coming up with the answers. She'd be saying, oh, it was amazing. I was reading the Bible this week and I actually found out that God gave up his son and he knows what it's like to lose a son and he knows what it's like to hurt. And I think he knows what it's like for me to hurt, to lose my brother. And um, we weren't saying anything. It was just like she was seeking God. God was revealing Jesus to her. And so that's been a really exciting journey for us. And... um, uh, since that time, she's um, she's now training in a completely different... She's training as a nurse. Um, her husband, who had had a job, who had to travel away, which was a, a, course of, a lot of stress for her. He's now got a new job. He's starting about now. Um, they're expecting a baby. It's like their whole life could not be more different. So, you know, I'm encouraged just to, to keep looking out for where God's working because he is working around us um, and just trying to be aware of where he's calling us to speak out and speak into people's lives. There's this lovely bit at the end of this passage where where, um, the writer says, um, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And the writer says, and she persuaded us. This kind of sense that in in quite a rational conversation together, they said, oh, oh, you're in. How did this happen? Which is kind of marvelous. So that's the first kind of conversion story we've heard. So we've heard one conversion story from over the Tasman, and this one's from over the Aegean. We've got a, a, a second one, um, and this one is a slave girl, and uh, this one makes the uh, um, this one makes the uh, books because it's kind of one of those dramatic kind of power encounters. This female slave um, who is owned by someone else, she's being used to earn money by someone else. And she's predicting the future. Um, and she starts following Paul and the rest of us round shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And finally, Paul gets really annoyed with that. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if that's how you were being introduced, I mean, it sets the bar high, but at least it's kind of a, a, a nice thing. And Paul becomes so annoyed at her saying that they were servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved that he turns around and says to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the Spirit leaves. So this is a power encounter with someone who is bottom of the pile. She's a slave. She is, uh, I don't know, maybe the equivalent of uh, a sex worker who has to work, not choosing to do it to make lots of money, but um, she's uh, got very little control or, or um, drug addicts this would be a good someone who's trapped in an addiction and just there's no way out this is someone like that and um, in the Christian church we love these stories um, A because they echo Jesus and B because wham it's done yes um, which is a lot which is lovely but a lot harder than the process what happens when you read that one Yeah, so when we think about the slave girl, uh, I guess what comes to mind to me is what was it that Paul was annoyed about? Because she was speaking the truth. You know, he was some free advertising. These are the men, servants of the Most High God who have come to show you the way of salvation. You know, uh, 
However, I think the reason why is because Paul could see that she was just being completely used. She didn't have a life of her own. She was the property of somebody else. She was making them money, and she was being used and abused by the spirits as well. Um, and so here was somebody who had inherent worth, and yet who was just completely rubbish in society. And... Um, and yet this was a really costly thing because um, what happens after this is that Paul gets beaten up, he gets whipped, and he gets thrown into prison. So um, he could have just left her alone and carried on his business. But actually he chose, he saw the injustice, and he saw here is a young woman who actually is um, made in the image of God and she's just being completely used. So I've got to do something about this. Um, so for me, this is a challenge, I guess, when we're looking at people who the world has written off, people whose society has written off. Um, we have had a bit of a, a challenging ministry in Cairns. Um, we actually did it for seven years. So we've done the Backpackers Barbecue, which you might have heard of, but we also did a barbecue in a emergency housing area. And this is people who um, had often ended up in Cairns for no, no fault of their own. They might have had a health issue and they've had to come down to the hospital, often from a lot of the Cape communities, so very poor Indigenous communities up uh, Cape York. Uh, pulled away from their families, pulled away from their communities, um, suddenly end up in a place where there's um, nowhere to stay. And they end up in this grotty little facility. Uh, basically, the rooms were like one single room with a little ensuite and a kitchen, and you'd have families of, you know, 10 sometimes. Probably, probably about the same size as the stage, perhaps a fraction wider, but that would be the size of the room. It probably wouldn't be as long as that. And people, families would be stuck in these situations for months. Like they'd often try to get housing and they'd be waiting on the Department of Housing list. And we actually got to know some families that were there for like four years, five years before they finally got somewhere else to go. Or if they were trying to go back home, they didn't have any means to get home. Um, so you get people trapped. And this was... Um, we were really just trying to care for people and give them some dignity and, and give them a, a nice meal, but also a chance to pray for them and just listen to their stories and care for them and, and hopefully speak some truth into their lives and share Jesus with them. Uh, over the time, over the seven years, um, it was challenging. Um, there were people with mental health issues, there were drug addicts, there were alcohol issues, and... Every time it would feel like it would get too hard, there'd be somebody come up to us with the tears in their eyes and say, you know, thank you for doing this. And we think, oh, right, okay, we're going to keep going. Uh, but, you know, sometimes ministry can be costly and hard going. And we had one lady who for a year actually went into that community and did Bible study with people. And that was what was needed. We always felt like there was so much more potential in this place. There was so much more potential. But we were all working full time. We couldn't get there during the week. Um, and more than once a month seemed to be too hard. Um, and, you know, if we'd had more of a team, it would have been better, but we didn't. So, yeah, that's always been a bit of a challenge to us. Yeah, we often often felt like there was just, the door was open, but there was, we needed to somehow step through it. But, I don't know, we just, there was, I don't know, we just, we could never... Just stepping through. That's right, yeah, and it was, it was really, that was always... Uh, one of the things I was a slight regret about that, I felt there was a little bit more there, but I don't know. 
And mm. one of the difficulties for us all is there's lots of opportunities. God can use you in all sorts of settings, but you can't do all of them. Mm. And each one demands some cost. So probably to work in that setting well, you'd have to step out of a, 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 a nice house and a, you know money coming. You'd actually have to address a power differential. Mm. Um, and mm. in fact, um, if you want to go back to Acts 16 and read it again with a question, a good question is to ask, what, who's in power here? What's the power differential? And, and, and how is that being expressed? Because right? it, it is an interesting question to ask um, when you're engaging in mission. That first one with Lydia, they're kind of peers. Here, um, it's a dramatic, quick, uh, s spiritual experience fix, which is wonderful, mm. from a position of some power to someone who has none. Mm. And the next one, the power thing gets changed further. So I, mean, I, I, mm. I do think for all of us, it's not only that you see a need, it is, God, are you calling me to address this need? Because there is a cost to serving Jesus. There is a, a, a picking up your cross, and you will pay, and it will be worth it, but you have to do the stuff that God is calling you to. Yeah, Yeah, I think that there was inherent good, and, and I think we've made a difference in people's lives, and they can even sample God's love in, in some shape or form. There was a few encounters which were really encouraging, but... Yeah, I look back on that and wonder what if. Anyway. And, and just as for Paul here, he, he casts out the spirit, and exactly as Angela said, what happens then is, um, well, that's an economic threat. Um, because remember, she was earning money for her owners. And so Paul um, and the team, they end up getting arrested and thrown into prison, which brings us to the, um, the third story from across the Aegean, which I don't expect you to read. If you've gone to Sunday school as a kid, you probably remember this. Um, do they end up in prison? Uh, it says that, um, that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And they, listen, they're not just in prison, but their feet are in stocks. So they, you know, it's pretty uncomfortable. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns, and the writer tells the other prisoners are listening to them. And then there's the earthquake we like, as opposed to others. The earthquake that breaks the stocks, the chains come loose, and they can run away, and they can escape. And actually, um, Paul and Silas stay, and the jailer, now the jailer is um, probably a working class bloke, like a cleaner, a landscape gardener, tradesman. Um, he's probably Roman, because that's how you'd get that kind of role, probably. Um, he, uh, so probably a, a blokey bloke, not that big into theory, probably lives in the suburbs, um, has a certain amount of power, but not loads, actually, probably, you know, um, and their encounter, he comes, finds out they're still there, and is just so shocked, and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And this is a lovely circular thing to the story, at the end of this, um, they end up, uh, so, yep, uh, um, they speak the word of the Lord to him in his household, the jailer takes him to his house, and they all end up staying at Lydia's place. So there's a lovely circle in this chapter. When we think about that, what comes to mind for you guys? Yeah, interesting. As I said before, one of the things that I feel God's just been challenging me about is those three things before, love God, love your neighbour, and especially love your brother and sister. And so in this situation, 
Um, it's got some aspects of that. So what, Paul was there because of his love for God. He wanted to share that good news. And so that's the first part of it. But in, in um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, I think that gives a little bit of insight onto Paul's how he operates. And it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which I, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best of use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so Paul was always on the, on the lookout on how he might share the gospel. Um, and in this case, it's God's love. But in this case, it's really interesting. When those, um, uh, the earthquake happened, clearly a you know, God moment. He brought the earthquake. Their shackles uh, bro fell off. The doors open. What would be your first? Uh, what would be your first response? Run. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I would too. You know, oh, God's provision. The doors are open. I'm out of here, and I can continue on sharing the gospel. Right. He could have continued on sharing the gospel and not engaged with this slave girl. So he said, oh, the doors are open. I can continue on sharing the gospel in this town. But he didn't. What would have been the consequence of Paul doing a runner? The jailer would have died. He would have, if he, his job was to keep the prisoners there, and if he didn't, he died. He was executed. That was it. So Paul knew that, so he stayed. So the loving thing about loving your brother there was actually to stay in that moment. And what did that do? What's that? It did, but there was a little in-between moment. What, what, what did he say to Paul? What must I do to be saved? Exactly. And so that invoked a question. And so going back to that, um, that uh, Colossians chapter 4, the second part, Paul clearly sees him. Have you got that up on the... Yep. So Paul, in verses 2 through to... Uh, two, two to four, Paul clearly sees himself as an evangelist and he was asking the people at Colossae to pray for him. But then he switches in the second few verses, he clearly is giving them advice of how they ought to live. They ought to live their life walking in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time, let your speech always be gracious, seasons with salt, so that it may, you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. What's the implied part of that last verse? That people will ask, that's right. Live a life that invokes questions. When Paul stayed, the guy said, what must I do to be saved? And he was probably saying, ah, saved from the, my boss who's going to knock my head off and maybe saved from God. So maybe it was both. And so there was this tension, you know, what must I do to be saved? Um, it's an interesting... I had a... Uh, how much time we got? I've got one... Yeah, good. Oh, one little story. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Bill Harding, he was, um, he was a lawyer and he left uh, his job in Auckland and, and went to work in uh, Kenya or Uganda. One of those places. Anyway, he, one of his first jobs was an ops manager and he was uh, working on the border of, um, I think it was Uganda, Uganda and Sudan at the time. And uh, the flight was scheduled to head up into Sudan from Uganda. 
and these two guys rocked up, and the plane carries around 500 kilograms, and uh, one guy comes up with 500 kilograms of Bibles, and the other guy comes up with 500 kilograms of blankets, and both expecting to go on the day. And so they say, oh, it's really important that we these Bibles have been printed specifically for this people group, and we've gone to all this trouble, and they need God's word. And... Bill says, yes, they do. And then the other guy says, yes, but it's freezing up there now tonight. People are going to die tonight if I don't get these blankets up. They're dying up there now because the weather's so cold in the middle of the desert. So we need these blankets up there. And then they both look at Bill and say, what are you going to do? And Bill, being a lawyer, brilliant, he said, well, me being a brilliant lawyer, he said, I uh, said to them, will you decide? <laughs> and he said, you've got 20 minutes because I need 20. In 20 minutes' time, we've got to finalise the load sheet and put the stuff on the aeroplane, and then we're leaving. And he said for the 20 minutes, he watched these two guys have a great philosophical discussion that goes on the church today. Do I meet their physical needs or do I do meet their spiritual needs? And Paul, in this scenario, could have said, uh, I've got lots of people to minister to. I'm going to ignore this guy. Or am I going to meet this guy's physical, immediate physical needs? But actual fact, he met them both because he met this physical need and then was ready to give an answer for the question when it came and therefore he met his spiritual needs. And so he met both. And what happened in this uh, story in South Sudan? Well, after 20 minutes of deciding, Bill said, what have you decided? We've got, to, we've got to fill out the load sheet. And he said, we'll share the load, which was a sensible answer. So in the end, those people in South Sudan got blankets and God's word. And so they found the nice balance, which is good. But he said it was really interesting seeing the church, this argument pan out right in front of him that the church has been grappling with for many years. Anyway, so we see in this story here um, the, of Paul looking to meet lover's neighbour by not going and taking what appeared to be a providential opportunity to leave and do a runner. But he loved the person by staying, which is pretty profound. Did you want to say something? Um, yeah, I think we we're also going to just mention as well with the backpackers barbecue that we've been doing, uh, every time without exception, they always want to know why we do it. So, again, that's just doing something that invokes questions. Um, and we've seen lots and lots of people um, really seeking for God, and we've been able to share the gospel with many, many people over eight years of doing that. Um, so, And also just the fact that, um, well, you'll see in the story, they actually end up going back to the jailer's house and uh, sharing the gospel and, and having a meal and they get baptised and then later on they go to Lydia's house. So there's actually an element of, of eating together and doing life together as well. And, and that's, you know, really a nice place where you can actually share life with people. And that's been one of the, the nice things about the Backpackers Barbecue and also the Alpha Course as well, is be able to actually take the time um, to have a meal with people and to be able to just listen to their stories and, and uh, answer those questions when they come. Yeah, and, and, and just unpacking that aspect of loving one another, at the end of it, they all met together at Lydia's place. Now, it doesn't say implicitly that the slave girl was there, but I think it's reasonable to assume that at Lydia's place, you probably had this, the dealer of expensive yep. clothes. The rich businesswoman. Rich businesswoman. The impoverished bottom of the pile yeah. um, um, ex-slave, we hope. Yeah. We're not Maybe, no, not necessarily. Yeah, um, and... And then a, a working class yeah. jailer, which is a lovely spread. That's right. And that's the amazing thing. And they could love one another in that context. And they were in their, in the, the, 
probably the first members of the Philippi church. You had this amazing spread, and yet they were brought together because of the common love of Christ as brothers and sisters. And so that's a beautiful way to end that little passage. It's fantastic. So why have we shared it? We shared it because, um, first of all, oddity in supporting missionaries, a lot of what Kevin has to do is kind of one or two layers back from the coalface. You just, you know, this, the policy. Let's hear it for policy. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Uh, oh, yes! <laughs> High five! <laughs> you guys are gold. Um, really. Um, we have to have it to do stuff. But it, it doesn't make for great stories. No. No? It's really important. It has to happen. And so a lot of people who are working, a lot of um, overseas missionaries, are working one or two layers back trying to create the stuff to be able to do stunning stuff and equipping locals to do mission. Mm. But still we live our lives and we bump into things. And if you notice anything in those three stories and the stories they're shared, they're different. God brings people across your pathway. Do not assume you know uh, you have a formula for it. One of the lines, I'm just going to put one more up here. Uh, this is from uh, Romans chapter 15. It's just the, verse 2. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. Oops, and I've obviously cut and paste got something wrong. Uh, um, well, then, then it goes to the uh, bit from Colossians. My apologies. We have people alongside us in a lot of our life. And Paul's encouraging us to look, how do you build them up? How do you do good for them? So just for a moment, while I... Um, thanks, guys. Okay, cool. Yep, have a seat. Um, uh, yes, there we go. And can I have the team up? While I'm doing that, I'd just like you to be thinking in your own life, who are the people who are around you? What do they need? What kind of um, position could you be in that you could have conversations and uh, then we're going to um, draw this to a bit of a close um, by singing uh, an oldie but a goodie. Well, I think it's a goodie. Um, and uh, Rend Collection are coming. Oh, Collection, Rend Collection. <laughs> You've got to give me marks for consistency. While we sing this, we might take up a collection. 